the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. Rob Black. Holy mackerel. 51 days till Christmas. Seven Mondays. It's coming. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Tonight, I'm going to be doing an event. Woohoo! In Palo Alto. Double. Woohoo! Um, Wealth Preservation Retirement Planning with CFP, Chad Burton, uh, 6.30 to 9. We're going to talk about a lot of concepts, um, stocks, investments, how to reduce risk without with diversification. It's a good thing. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a great thing in an up, up, up market, but it's a great thing in a down market. Tax reduction strategies, bond alternatives. Um, interest rates are going to be low for a while. Even though the Fed's in that phase of we're going to start raising them, it looks like it's going to be really terminally slow. Rebalancing portfolios. Um, Michelle Lerman will be there as well, talking estate planning and legal fees and um, some issues on how to keep all the money that you create in your life and maybe pass it on to heirs or give it to charity and concepts like that. Joining me now is CFB Chad Burton. How are you, Mr. Burton? Doing well. Doing well. So tonight, wealth preservation, retirement planning, um, pretty big concept. Uh, what are some of the things that you're going to, be some of your stronger points. I think if you end up going, you'll find out how wealthy you truly are, right? You remember when we were young and retiring with a million dollars seemed just an enormous amount of money. And people, when we were younger, they used to think that they would live till about, what, 85? Maybe. And that's it. If you're lucky. Now you got the guy that helped map the genome. He's 70 years old. He's got a company that's focusing on longevity. So the guy that mapped at 70, and he's probably going to try to live well past age 100 just from the work that he's doing. So first of all, retirement is expensive, and it's more expensive now than ever, as we talked about before, because it's really relative to interest rates. The lower interest rates are, the more expensive it is to retire. Yep. It's an inverse situation because your CDs and your bonds that are a significant portion of your portfolio are really a third of where they were in 2007 and even less versus the year 2000 when rates were even higher. 
But the lower interest rates also help you potentially grow stocks more because money flows to stocks when interest rates are low. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've we've had this huge increase in financial assets as a result of the quantitative easing. Um, but at the same time, Rob, the stocks have gone way up, and a lot of investors really don't know what the risk is in their overall portfolio. They don't know how they're going to react in the next large correction. They had a little taste of it, so I wonder how they felt by the end of September when the market was down, what, about 11% or so from the highs? It's kind of interesting. Um, one of the things you just brought up that, you know, it's been six plus years. That's a long time. And you do forget down markets and how uncomfortable you feel during them. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember down markets uh, where people won't open their statements. Do you remember those? Oh, like, yeah. Like they're like, they'd get the statement. For, and I guess now everything's electronic or most people get electronic, but they'll just delete that email. Whereas in the past, they would just leave that open on the cat or unopen on the counter, not wanting to open that mail. You know, and in some cases, if they already have a strategy in place and they have an asset allocation program and then maybe even quarterly or semi-annual rebalancing set up on their 401k, it's almost a good thing to just, you know, let the investments do what they're going to do, especially if you're 20s, 30s, 40s. And go ahead, delete that email during the downturn so you don't react emotionally if you already have a plan in place. But if you don't have a plan in place and then one of those corrections come into play and then you start looking at it, that's when you're going to make the mistakes. That's where you're going to make the emotional investment decisions. And you can even make it at the top, too, when people start saying, oh, this market's always going to go. It's, it's pushing forward. It's pushing forward, not realizing that we're well above the 10-year average on P.E. ratio. So they take money that should be in fixed income or in their safe money, their emergency reserves, and they start investing it in the market. Then, they, then the market has a correction, and instead of buying more, they and then they turn it into a true loss. So about a month ago, I got an email from someone who was – heading towards retirement pretty fast. And uh, he was telling me that he was going to you know, sell out of the market and wait for a correction. Because, like you said, valuations are, are typically historically high. Um, he had a lot of reasons for it. Um, he'd seen a sideways market. He's got a feeling and, you know, rain's coming kind of thing. Yep, yep. I said, don't do it. I said, you can't sell out of the market. I said, that just that concept doesn't even make any sense to me. Now, I said you could lighten up, you could go more defensive, you can say, I'm going to look at the value in the oil stocks because they've already fallen 60%. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you could look at the value of something like an Apple stock, which has low PE and a dividend and lots of cash. Um, but I, I don't know if you sold out or not. We just had the best October, like up 8 plus, huh. 8.3%, and he sold out. You know, that, that was his plan. Right. Maybe he didn't get to it. But that's a classic example of just because valuations are high doesn't mean we go lower. Yep. You know, and I would say almost probably every two in 10 portfolios that you know, we take over as a firm at New Focus Financial are large cash positions, and they feel like they got it right once. Maybe they sold out right at the top of 2007. They got lucky. But ever since that period of time, it's been sitting in cash. And let's say that's a large portfolio. Let's say that's that million-dollar example, which should kick off, you know, 40 grand a year in retirement. That's why a million dollars doesn't go as far as it used to from 65 to age 100. But at the same time, that million dollars, even in stock, should be kicking off somewhere between 28 and and $35,000 just in dividends from stocks. So a lot of the companies that you own in retirement, they pay a dividend. They have a history of increasing the dividend, even in a down market. And so you miss out on that income that entire period of time, and you run the risk of never knowing when to get back in. So... Yeah, I mean, some there's periods of time where I might increase my cash levels a bit, but it's more an issue of going, is it a growth phase of the, the market where you're in more of the growth stocks, or is it more of a value phase? 
or you're trying to buy stocks that are cheaper, turning around, still have a great dividend. Um, I think we're transitioning to more of a, a bit of a value situation in many areas of the market. As, as we tell that to Facebook, Amazon, Netflix. And well, I was Google. just going to say that. I mean, the, the, the crazy thing is that a lot of tech companies of that were the growth companies in the '90s are now becoming more value-oriented plays of today. And bar, you know, you've always got the Facebook and the Amazon and everything else. Those are take over the world stories. So a little bit different. Facebook had a pretty good quarter last night. They did. They've got a billion active users daily, which is ten Super Bowls per day in the United States. It's amazing. So, a lot of eyeballs. A lot of eyeballs. Um, okay, so we got an event coming up tonight. Palo Alto Elks Lodge, six thirty to nine. People could sign up at robblack.com. It's a workshop kind of environment. I think of it as someone who should be ideal, forty plus, heading towards retirement. Or honestly, we have some people that come once every two years, and they just kind of get a refresher and start thinking about issues that are going to be coming up in their portfolios down the road. Um, I think. Th- the education is unbelievable. I've been talking to a lot of marketing firms recently, and one of the things I say is I've never met a CFP who's better at what he does at explaining it than Chad Burton. I said, now me, because I have to talk about me. I can't just give compliments to people. Um, <laughs> I've never found anyone who could tell a story um, better than me as far as uh, financial stories and business stories. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's, it's a good event. And then Michelle Lerman, she's an attorney, and to get an attorney to talk to you for free, uh, or near free is unbelievable. You have questions, she'll answer them for you. So uh, consider it a state planning attorney. I know you have a lot of things on your mind. Uh, California, is it a riskiest state to die in? Is it not a risky state? Um, you know, a lot of money can evaporate really quickly with the death tax, which is still the tax that pisses me off the most. I get every other tax. I get sales tax. I get income tax. At least California doesn't have a death tax. I know. Oregon and Washington do. Can you imagine yeah. dying and you get taxed? Yeah, I mean, that's what I deal with all the time for clients, and it's it's really annoying. It's a success tax. Hey, you made too much money. Let me have some back. If you want to come out tonight, meet CFP Chad Burton or myself. Come out to Palo Alto Elks Lodge. It's on El Camino. Free parking. It's really super convenient. 630 to 9. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Going to be cranking up the holiday music soon. Which basically means we're going to be taking some time off. Hopefully you're hitting your goals that you need to hit this year because it's almost done. Hopefully you maxed out the 401k. you got a little bit of time to do some tax planning. And you should. Uh, if you've got some extra money you want to give away to dwindle down your estate, it's always a good time to do it, especially when families need it. Speaking of estates, let's bring in Michelle Lerman, estate planning attorney. How are you, Michelle? I'm good, Ron. Thanks. So I've known you for a while to now, and uh, you're going to be at the event tonight, uh, Wealth Management and Retirement Planning, Palo Alto Elks Lodge, 630 to 9. People could sign up at robblack.com. What are some of the topics you're going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about all the changes in estate planning over the last uh, few years, and it's shocking. I just cannot even emphasize enough 
how important it is, and yet how many people haven't revised their plan in light of the new laws. So we're going to tell people what the new laws are and what they need to do. Why are there so many new laws created? Because I can get cost of inflation being factored into laws, but why are there new laws? It seems like it should be pretty procedural. Yeah, well, estate planning isn't that way. And estate planning, since 2001, every year we've had a lot of changes. But what happened at the beginning of 2013 is we finally have a permanent estate planning law. So that's the good news. So now is the time for people to adjust to these so-called permanent laws. And the big news is that a married couple can leave over $10 million free of estate tax and they don't even have to have a bypass trust, which I'm going to explain tonight what that is, do you need it, what the alternatives are, uh, in order to shelter that much wealth. And yet certain types of trusts are going to increase another type of tax, uh, income tax. So that's what we're going to focus uh, a lot on. And, yeah, laws change. It's interesting to see um, some of the, the talk as we go through, you know, Democrats and Republicans trying to become the, the one to go to the big show, right? And on all sides of the fence, we have this huge amount of money now that families can pass tax-free to their kids. But you still got to step up in basis. I mean, do you these when they change these laws, they say it's permanent. And it's always permanent until they change it again. So how often should people revise their estate plan? That's a great point, uh, Chad. Good to good to talk to you. Yeah, it's it's permanent until they change. But see, the difference with this law is that up until 2013, every year the law was automatically changing because the amount you could leave free of estate tax was just changing automatically. It, there was a there was a schedule. Now that schedule is gone, and now we have a set law. And what changes now is it just goes up just by the cost of living increase. So this year, a single person, the exemption amount is $5 million, and then every year it creeps, that amount just creeps up, but it's pretty minor. It's just for, uh, it's just for, uh, for cost of living. So um, we'll see, you know, well, I, I would say people should review their plan every year or two, but anyone who hasn't looked at their plan recently definitely needs to look at it, but at least every every year or two. I mean, yeah. also things change. Uh, you have young kids. I have kids. Many people have kids. Even ideas about who the guardian should be changes from year to year. So you have to relook at that and make sure who you've put in charge is, is really what you want. And going into retirement is a, is a great time, too, for people to update everything. And what we talk about is trying to blend your financial planning with your estate planning because your financial plan includes long-term projections. So you can look out in the future and say, how much am I truly leaving these people when I pass away at 85, 90, age 100? Um, and blend that into what's going on with your documents. I mean, we're, we're still seeing these people that haven't updated their trust. And you see a, a family that is worth a decent amount, but they're no means near an estate tax problem but it's forcing them to fund a bypass trust when one of them dies, which used to be a great idea, bypass or credit shelter trust, the old ABC-type trusts. And, and a lot of people still have trusts that force them to fund this when they pass away. Explain what happens with a bypass trust and how, how annoying it can be for the survivor if they don't change their documents and if they don't need the bypass trust. Yeah, uh, Chad, you mentioned a step up in income tax basis earlier, and that's exactly what the issue is. If you have, say, 
a house, for example, that has to go into a bypass trust because that's what your trust documents say, and let's say that the house appreciates quite a bit in value during the lifetime of the surviving spouse, when the kids go to sell that house after the surviving spouse dies, the there potentially is a very large income tax, a tax on the on the gain, capital gains tax, that's going to be due because assets in a bypass trust don't get what we refer to as an income tax step up in basis. So they don't get that, uh, whereas if they didn't have the bypass trust and a house appreciated in value, oftentimes it can be sold and there's no capital gains tax at all. So these this can be really annoying, more than annoying it even if it just it's dollars and cents. And I always am so surprised people spend so much money planning their retirement and making sure that they have enough assets, but not paying enough attention to what would happen if they die and how it passes to their children. Right. And by the time they get to retirement, their trust will say, oh, you know, put the money in, uh, you know, somebody's going to care for the money until the child's 25. But by the time they go into retirement, the child's 40 and their plan's right. completely out of date. Another big yeah, asset that people. Oh, go ahead. Well, you mentioned it's still in trust and the child's 40. And the other thing we're going to talk about a lot tonight is our lifetime trust, that there's a way to keep assets in trust for the whole lifetime of children, put them in charge at age 25, but don't give it to them in their individual name. That's not that hard to do. It has a lot of benefits, and anyone with wealth wants to know about that type of planning and determine if it's right for them. Now, uh, let's talk about a large asset, obviously, and we've got about a minute left. Um, talk about things that need to happen. A lot of people have their the biggest asset they have now is their California home. So talk about leaving that in trust and what happens with the property taxes. Property taxes have to be planned in California because we have Prop 13. So you definitely want to generate, you definitely want to have a home put into a living trust because that's how you're going to avoid something called probate going to court. But you also want to plan it right because what if one child wants to keep the home and the other child doesn't want the home and the only asset in the estate is the home. So in order to make sure property taxes meet the parent-child exclusion so that property taxes don't go up after the parents both die, you want to make sure that it's planned right and there's enough liquidity in the estate so that the house can go to one child and we can find other assets to fund in the trust so that those other assets can go to the other child and preserve the property tax exemption, which is huge. Thanks very much. It's Michelle Lerman, estate planning attorney. You can find her website, LermanLaw.com. It's LermanLaw.com. You can meet her tonight and bring questions for CFP Chad Burton, myself and or her. Wealth Management and Retirement Planning tonight, Palo Alto Elks Lodge, 6.30 to 9, last one of the year. You can sign up at robblack.com at 6.30 to 9, Wealth Preservation and Retirement Planning. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, 
back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Joining me now, as he does every Thursday at this time, Chris Siaccia, tech editor for TheStreet.com. How are you, Chris? Good, Rob. How's it going this morning? Doing well. Um, you sent me two topics, and I think the, the one that's more interesting to me is the Activision Blizzard paying $6 billion for Candy Crush. I grew up on video games. Um, Activision was, uh, they had a game called Bird vs. Johnson. And uh, Larry Bird versus Magic Johnson, and it was awesome. Maybe those Electronic Arts, um, but Electronic Arts and the Activision are the only two that have been around for like forty years. Why are they going out and buying Candy Crush? It's basically they've come to the realization that it's not just about um, you know Xbox One or PlayStation Four. There's there's millions and billions of dollars to be made on smart on device on smart devices. And considering that we've now seen, you know, the new Apple TV and the new Fire TV um, really kind of push into casual gaming, um, there's an opportunity for them to be on those platforms too. So it's it's a platform play for Activision. You know, Candy, uh, Candy Crush, which is owned by uh, King Digital, still a really good company. It generates a lot of cash. The stock hasn't performed so hot since it's gone public, um, but it's a cash generating machine and. It gives Activision, you know, another, you know, another way to boost revenues and another way to to get some cash on its books while it continues to figure out, you know, how it's going to operate in the, in this mobile environment. It's interesting because we're all looking for the mobile trade, and obviously Facebook figured that out a couple uh, years ago. They had no mobile, and now they're pretty dominant at mobile. Maybe the same thing's going to be said about Activision Blizzard because right now they only get about 5% from mobile games, and obviously if they can kick that up, there's there's a category that can grow pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. It's always been a hit-based industry, um, and you've seen that with Candy Crush. It's still one of, if not the most popular game um, on iOS and Android, and it generates a ton of money. And that's sort of that was sort of King's problem, is Candy Crush has become this big mega-monster hit, and it wasn't able to de- really develop anything um, to the size and scope of that, even, you know, sequels like, uh, you know, to the first Candy Crush game, they still have, you know, 470 million or a little bit more than 470 million people who use its products every month. So it's, you know, this this big conglomerate game, um, and it gives Activision another way to, you know, exploit it while they continue to figure out, you know, the intellectual property for, uh, you know, to move into mobile and to see if they can build a, uh, you know, another mega hit like Candy Crush. It's humorous that we're talking about this because I don't think anyone really thinks about this um, as being legit. Uh, But Minecraft, if you have a kid in elementary school, every kid in elementary school is playing Minecraft. And uh, that's owned by Microsoft now. And Electronic Arts has the Plants vs. Zombies company. So, these big companies are spending huge dollars to get into the platforms uh, that are dominant with kids. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Minecraft, and I think it's interesting. My, everyone kind of questioned why is Microsoft going out and buying uh, the maker of Minecraft, but they paid $2.5 billion, which, if you look at this Activision King Digital deal, is peanuts, especially when you consider that fact that Microsoft has $90 billion of cash on its books. It's like a drop in the bucket. They, it's like they found change sitting under the sofa, and they went out and bought Minecraft. And Minecraft is this hugely enormous popular game. 
and it can be exploited a million different ways. There's talks to have a movie. It's going to be uh, thrown into Microsoft's upcoming virtual reality headset, the HoloLens. You know, games, uh, TV, clothes. There may be a TV show down the line. So there's a million different things you know that Microsoft c- can do with this. And considering how important this demographic is uh, to get users and to, to expose them to other products, it's a cheap way to you know to have that user base. And it, you know, considering these games are pretty profitable, it's good business too. Now, would you have enough courage to potentially pick up shares of Zynga, thinking that they may be next to be picked up? I've gone back and forth on Zynga. I think Zynga's sort of, you know, past its prime at this point. I think if, you know, if I was an investor, I think I'm looking at about, you know, two dollars, two twenty, two thirty, maybe in that range for Zynga, because they own the building in San Francisco, which has just become this enormous, um, huge asset for them. And then anything that they could possibly ever do, when it comes to turning around the games business. Is is uh, is all gravy. So if they can ever actually figure that out, you know, you know, maybe it's like a cheap call option. But I, I think I, for my investing dollar, I think there's there's money to be spent elsewhere. Let's talk Facebook and their numbers that they reported last night. Anything stand out to you? Everything. They are just an absolute monster at this point. It's a it's a runaway freight train. It's like watching. Um, Jim Brown from the 1960s run through defenses. You know, if you're a football fan, you remember Jim Brown. He would just obliterate, you know, defenses. And that's what Facebook is like when it comes to advertising and especially mobile. They are gobbling up share from everybody. Uh, they haven't even really figured out how to monetize video yet. They just turned on Instagram. WhatsApp is coming probably next year or 2017. Then they have Oculus and virtual reality down the line even further than that. They are a legitimate runaway freight train, and there probably is no other company um, out there that's more exciting um, than maybe Apple, you know, than Facebook is right now. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. One Over 1 billion users daily. That's just mind-boggling. And people are – here's the downside. I saw earlier this week that people are posting less content. Now, the upside is that Facebook doesn't have to create the content, but people are are posting less content. I know that's true about me. I'm much more of a lurker than I am of a content creator. Um, do you think that could get them into trouble down the road? Potentially, but I mean, I saw that story too in the journal as well. Um, but it's, a, I think it's you know a small user base that that was surveyed. You, like you mentioned, they have a billion people using it every day, and a billion and a half people using it every month. And when you think about it, they're really not even in India yet. You know that that runway is just starting and they're not in China. Um, you know, they kind of talked about how they do have Chinese brands advertising to people. But as far as the user base, you know, those are two incredibly, incredibly populated countries. You know, you're talking about maybe a third of the world's population in those two countries that re- they really don't have a presence yet. So, you know, maybe there are some people here in the U.S. that are slowing down on their hosting and, and maybe just consuming more. Um, but there's this huge, enormous user base that has no access to the service. And once those come online, which you know probably will happen in the next you know three to five years, um, maybe even a little bit sooner, depending upon how the governments work, um, you know, I, I suspect that'll be just you know a, a non-issue. I see in your story that you wrote. I'm speaking with Chris Siaccia, the tech editor for TheStreet.com. Eight billion daily video views. How's that possible? 
That means if they, <laughs> if they got a billion users a day, that means a, a, every user is watching eight videos? It's a little bit of a fuzzy math, and it all comes down to the fact that, you know, a lot of people count video views very differently. Facebook counts a video view as, okay, if I see it for three seconds, and a video, if I'm on my news feed and a video is playing, I may not necessarily be watching it, but if a, a video is playing for more than three seconds, they count that as a view. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's incredibly impressive user growth, but you need to break it down a little bit and see, okay, well, maybe, you know, it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison between what a, a user is worth on YouTube versus what, you know, um, a user is doing on Facebook. But still, even though, I mean, even with that in mind, you know, the numbers are incredibly impressive and advertisers are drooling all over themselves for that kind of audience. Yeah. And uh, taking a look at Facebook stock hits an all-time high. It, you think the, from listening to the conference call, you think Zuckerberg still has some uh, tricks up his sleeve for the future? Yeah. I mean, they talked about Instagram, which is just starting to, to ramp up in terms of, you know, generating revenue. They said, you know, Instagram is not competing against Facebook, so sometimes there might be some spending that gets shifted from Facebook to Instagram, but then they also talked about how there was a, a, an ad campaign on Instagram that did really well and then was retargeted on Facebook and then blew up. So you, you've seen you know, the synergies between both platforms. So once Instagram really starts to start generating revenue, it'll take it away from other places, maybe like a Twitter or uh, you know, unfortunately some of the media companies that are struggling right now. Um, and then you have WhatsApp down the line. That really hasn't generated any money. And then we'll see what happens with virtual reality and Oculus. Oculus has been, you know, in the news a lot recently because of a conference, you know, and, and unveiling some new headsets. So we'll see what happens down the line. But, yeah, Mark and his team have definitely have a lot of levers to pull. Thanks very much. It's Chris Siaccia, tech editor with TheStreet.com. You can find him at TheStreet.com. Now back to UCFP, Chad Burton. Any thoughts on uh, companies like Facebook? Um, no, I mean, there's there's ways for people to get a, a piece of everything. I mean, you get some of these companies out there, you get the high grower, like Amazon in terms of revenue, not necessarily a lot of profit. And then you get some of the old tech names that are looking more value-oriented, like even Cisco with the Internet of Things, right? I mean, you can get a big piece of that. One of the uh, ETFs that I own is XLK that I and my clients own, and in it, you got to look at the weightings, though, because it's a real Apple mover. It's 14% or so in Apple, about 5 almost 6% in Facebook these days. But it's also got a little bit of Verizon and Cisco and Visa in there as well. Um, why Visa's in there as a tech company is because of the auto payments, right? It's really more of a financial, but it's it's a technology play as well. I don't think um, it was financial at all. I think it was a retail transaction play. Yeah, that's where the technology it's, it's, piece comes from. That's why it's in the tech yeah. ETF. Um, so I love technology and healthcare. It's one of the areas that has high enough revenue growth to support future gains. I wrote about Visa in our recent newsletter. You can find it at robblack.com. You can sign up for it at robblack.com. While there, you can also jump in and uh, learn a little bit more about the Wealth Preservation Retirement Planning event tonight in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. You can sign up at robblack.com at 6.30 to 9 tonight. I'm Rob Black.
listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. This is L. King. I once got some advice when I was getting into radio, just doing radio work 18, 19 years ago. This guy had this great big voice, booming voice, and I was like, how do any tips? He goes, whiskey and cigarettes. It sounds like she's done a couple whiskey, couple shots of whiskey and cigarettes with that voice. She kind of sounds husky. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Believe it or not, my voice has changed over time, and it's actually gotten a little deeper. Um, but not that much. 800-516-1220. I've got some tapes from early, early on in Radio Chad that I'd love to play one day. Because uh, the first time I ever got onto financial radio, my boss basically had a marital issue. And he had to leave for two weeks. And he said, just just, just do my show. I'm like, okay. And I remember I was talking about Cisco Systems 20 years ago. Think about this. You know, think about it was the Facebook of it. I mean, it was a killer stock. Right. I was talking about John Chambers. And then I said, I remember, yeah. So they've come up with this concept. And this was a concept. Local area networks. And they're going to start doing wide area networks. And they're going to do metro area networks where they're tying all the networks together. And then they're going to, you know, ultimately go into interplanetary networks. They're telling me, like, well, Mars rover blah. And I kept talking like this. And finally, you hear me go, ah! so I went for like 30 <laughs> seconds on one breath just talking about the company. And I think it, it was likable. So uh, yeah, You talk so fast, you get the entire content of the entire show out in your first segment. And then you're, then what? Well, <laughs> I guess what the point was is uh, we do change and do get better. Uh, let's talk about those social security laws. Those changed. And it seems kind of like boo. Well, it's it's better in in terms of change. It's better for the entire Social Security system. Okay. But it's really rough on people that you know within say five years of retirement, and they were planning on getting a little bit of extra sauce, I guess you could say, out of Social Security. And and here's here's where it comes into play. What's going on is the whole, you know, one spouse where it really affects people that in a couple where they both worked. Okay, they both earned some income. And back in 2000, there were some laws that were passed on Social Security that created kind of a weird little loophole, which allowed people to play off each other's benefits. And so let's say you had an age difference. A 66-year-old guy, is, this is the common scenario, 66-year-old guy, 62-year-old wife. So the guy goes in, files, and suspends his Social Security. He doesn't want to take it till he's 70. He's letting it grow. And the wife has her own benefit that's pretty decent size, but she doesn't want to take hers till she's 70. She can go in and file a restricted application, get spousal benefits, for eight years and then switch to her own benefits. And in a situation like that, I was just reviewing a plan yesterday where that exact situation would have resulted in six years of $600 a month payment. So it was about 54000 a year. But the problem is, is that they're not going to be this – was, this was planning that was going to happen in about three years. Okay. And they're not going to be 66 by April 30th which is now the cutoff, and they're not going to be able to do this anymore. So for this couple, it, this, this quick law change in Social Security that happened inside of a budget deal in Congress that was done at the last minute is going to cost them 600 bucks a month for the first eight years of their retirement. So pretty significant, right? Yep. I mean, it's a changer. It's, it is a game changer. It's basically they're, they're probably going to end up deciding just because of the way that it affects the plan in the long run I'm probably working another six to 12 months to make up that difference, just to kind of stay in the safety zone when it comes to running financial planning scenarios and you do, well, what if scenarios? What if there's mediocre or bear market returns in the first five years of retirement? What if interest rates stay low for a long period of time? 
Um, and that's 600 bucks a month instead of having to pull that, instead of getting that from Social Security. In their case, most of their assets, which are becoming a very common problem, are all in 401k and IRAs, all in money that's never been taxed. So in their situation, they were going to have to pull about 850 bucks a month extra out of their IRAs eight years sooner than they thought in order to replace what Social Security was going to give them. So all of that file and suspend stuff, unless you're basically going to be 66 years old by April 30th, because the law was passed October and then October 30th, and there's a six-month kind of moratorium deadline that it's uh, it, it's very confusing, Rob. I mean, we're, we're working on a, a blog that you'll see up at New Focus Financial here pretty quickly, but there's a couple of things that are so unclear in the law that you know, in typical congressional fashion of, of getting this stuff done at the last minute and creating more, I don't know, confusion than there was in the first place. But it's gone. I mean, it's it's good for the Social Security system because in that scenario that I just gave you, that's an extra fifty grand that that couple was going to pull out of Social Security in the first eight years of their retirement. Right. That was that really shouldn't be there. You know, kind of playing off each other's benefits. So just one more issue where, especially for a married couple now. That retirement's gotten a little bit more expensive. Yeah, I often tell the story, and I'll do this one quick. About there was there's a person in her 30s that I know uh, met her at a visa conference, and her dad had a house in Fremont. Took some money out, bought another house. Took some money out, bought another house. Took some money out, bought another house. Ultimately, lost all four houses in bankruptcy and foreclosure. Yep. Um, around that time, her mother had a stroke, and her mother's like 250, 300 pounds. So now to move her mother, you have to physically, like, it's labor. Um, so she's not, she like sits around, she's like a plant now, her mother. And the dad basically was going to have to go to work back for the rest of his life. United Airlines, union guy. Mm-hmm. He has a heart attack and dies. Oh, so now she's a 32-year-old woman with a mom who's had strokes, will never recover, who's basically financially ruined. They had to raise money on Kickstarter for a funeral. Ugh. Can you imagine? Well, I can, and I think that's about 40% of the population over over the age of uh, 60 at this point. And I'd refer that to us not having a financial plan. Um, just one chain of mistakes tied towards real estate. Yeah. One overconfident. Well, not one. I mean, he still didn't have anything much. So that's the interesting thing about the millennials is they're not they're mostly in cash in their 401ks. And you start doing things like their parents are, you know, they typically have... 30% of them have no savings in retirement. None. We're in trouble. Because they, they, they think of the market as a living, breathing thing that's tied to these Wall Street guys in suits and ties that created you know, debt obligations and resold them and, and caused a credit crisis. So we can talk about dividend-paying stocks and real estate for millennials coming back. I think it's a good topic. Palo Alto Elks Lodge tonight. Wealth Management Retirement Planning. Come meet CFP Chad Burton and myself. Wealth Management Retirement Planning tonight in Palo Alto. Sign up at robblack.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.